Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. Now, as a business owner, or simply in your day-to-day life, how important would you say is being able to communicate effectively to you? Do you find this is a skill that you need help with? Well, guess what? You are in luck, my friends, because today I have an expert on the show, an expert at making your communication as mighty as your ideas. This week on Scale Up with Nick Bradley, joining me is John Bates. Now, I've known John for a while and I've been wanting to get him on the show. You see, John was there when I needed help last year preparing for a huge speech when I was in the US and he came to the rescue and we'll get into that a little bit in a sec. But the backstory is this, after totally blowing his first time on a TEDx stage, John focused in and is now a global leadership communications expert, an executive coach, an author, a pitch coach, and a keynote speaker. He's also become known as one of the most prolific TED format coaches in the world. There's this place where you practice so much, it looks like you practiced. And that's not the goal, right? I call that the valley of awkwardness. And the only way to get across the valley of awkwardness is to practice even more to the point where you practice so much, it looks like you didn't practice. He supports many accelerator programs and organizations, has assisted clients in winning million dollar pitch competitions, raising millions in VC funding, winning millions in grant money and more. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Your Amazing Itty Bitty Guide to Being Ted Worthy, The 15 Essential Secrets of Successful Speaking Based in Human Neurobiology. Leaders from organizations like Johnson & Johnson's, NASA, U.S. Navy Special Operations and more recommend him to their colleagues as the best leadership communications coach working today. He knows how powerful mastering communication can be to anyone, both in business and in life. I would need to base everything I did in human evolutionary biology and human neurophysiology so I could show people not only what works when it comes to communicating with and influencing and inspiring and leading human beings, but also why it works. So needless to say, today we are in for a treat as this interview packs in a lot of value. We're gonna cover communicating properly and effectively, how to ensure your communication is as mighty as your ideas, like I mentioned earlier, and how to get noticed in a sea of speakers and the science around how it all works. So join me as I proudly welcome John Bates, finally with us today on Scale Up with Nick Bradley. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up with me, Nick Bradley, yet again, another week. And uh, this week, I've got an amazing guest, someone I've been looking forward to having on the show for a while because we connected last year when I was in desperate need of some help, desperate need of some help, because I had to do a big speech on a stage in the US. And I thought, I need to go and get a coach. I need to hire someone who's the best in the game at speaking. And I met a gentleman called John Bates. And John Bates is on the show with me today. Welcome, John. Uh, Nick, thank you. It's great to be with you. I, I'm grinning ear to ear. I, <laughs> I thought you'd like that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That was very kind. Yeah. Well, so you. so here's, here's the, the situation. So a few people on the show know this because I talk about all the things I'm doing, the crazy stuff I get up to. Yes. So yes. Last, last year, a lot of people know I had to go and speak at an event in Tampa. In fact, it was Matt Andrews. Uh, mastermind event there called Family Reunion. And yep. he wanted me to go up there and address a crowd of about 100, 150. So not a big crowd, but mm. an important crowd, you know, entrepreneurs, yeah. people who are trying to scale up and do crazy things with their businesses. And I thought, oh, God, what am I going to do? And my my approach was going to be, 
I'll just do like massive PowerPoint of like 85 slides. <laughs> yeah, I know you're falling off your chair already. Um, but then I thought that's not going to work. And then I thought maybe I do like a TEDxy type of thing, right? A really emotional type of thing. And then I thought, well, it's got to be somewhere probably in between because they expect something to take away and use. And I found you, John. There you go. And here I am. There you and, are. And, and it was, uh, I think you did a fabulous job. You're going to coach me. You're uh, going to coach me on the call now. <laughs> no, no, no. I just think you did a fabulous job. And it was such a pleasure, you know, because here's one of the things that really stands out about you for me. And, uh, you know, in particular about you, you're such a good looking, articulate guy with such an unbelievable background. It's just, you seem so unattainable. And one of the things that you are willing to do, and I think this predates me, but I think that we did it really well in what you did is balance the great stuff that you've done and all the great stuff you have to offer with some humility and, and some, and what I, you know, I got my little TM on it, right? Insightful <laughs> vulnerability. You, you have such an amazing story when you're willing to share that insightfully vulnerable stuff that you've been through. And, uh, and that was just, I just was fascinated with your story personally and thought you did a great job melding those two Thank you. pieces that needed to go together for that talk. <laughs> well, it took know? a little bit of, well, you know, what's interesting. Again, I think it's important just to talk for a few minutes about this because people listening to this, you know, most of the people here are entrepreneurs, business owners, investors, mm. and communication is important across multiple levels, be that pitching, or something that they need, mm -hmm. resources, investment, whatever, exiting their business, influence, mm -hmm. um, let alone communicating with their teams and their yes. staff. And and what was interesting, and I'll just share my experience a little bit because I think it's useful, is I, I've i always been the sort of guy who would wing it, right? And I would have a few bullet points in my head and I would just kind of go for it. And I've done that a lot. So therefore, yeah. I've practiced that. But the thing yeah. that, that you taught me was some structure, right? Have mm -hmm. some structure to it so that you can take whoever you're trying to speak to on a journey where they're connected emotionally as well as rationally, right? Yes, yes. And the other thing that, <laughs> that we did, <laughs> this is a painful <laughs> bit, because we did it super quick as well while I was traveling, but was practice. And yeah. I don't know how many times, I think I may have done it 10 to 12 times. It was only a 30 yeah. minute speech. Yeah. Oh, by the end, it was painful, but it was, I'm so glad I did it because I didn't have to think about what yeah. I had to say when I was talking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I told you in our conversations that Steve Jobs would practice for an hour for every minute that he was going to be on stage, you know, and so did Winston Churchill. And really, uh, and I don't, know yeah. if, I don't remember you saying that. I, I, it makes sense to me, but you've got to be disciplined to do it, don't you? Because, like, oh. oh my gosh. Well, what about actors? <laughs> what about Hugh Grant? Would so, or um, Hugh Jackman, sorry, would he be like, like rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing? So it's like just on well, point. When, when I worked with Dolph Lundgren, I, I don't think I've ever, I, I mean, <laughs> Nick, you're, you're up there close, but Dolph Lundgren has made an absolute career of taking direction, right? Cause he works with the director every time he acts and he was amazing at taking the direction. It, it was crazy. And he definitely practiced like mad and, and you know, you don't have to practice like that for every single talk, right? Like I'm not like people listening going, oh, okay, forget this guy an hour for every minute. But think <laughs> about how much it matters, right? How much does this one matter? And usually it matters more than people 
practice, <laughs> if that yes. makes sense, right? Yeah, and because it opens up so many other opportunities. So if you, you know, yeah. I suppose it's like anything, you're only as good as your last performance, right? To some extent. Yeah. So there's a bit yes. where if you fail on a big stage, that's going to have implications. Massive. You know, there could be big implications down the track. Yeah. Yeah. And and let me just handle one other thing that I'm pretty sure is floating around in people's minds is if you practice that much, it's going to sound canned, right? Like you, the reason you used to be so good, Nick, and I was the same way. I mean, I would wing it and it would be so fresh <laughs> and it would be so wonderful, right? And if I practiced, it would sound canned. No, there's this place where you practice so much, it looks like you practiced. And that's not the goal, right? I call that the valley of awkwardness. And the only way to get across the valley of awkwardness is to practice even more to the point where you practice so much, it looks like you didn't practice. And Ooh. then here's the thing. <laughs> when you get on stage, you just remember it's not the hundredth time you've done it. This is the first time you've done it here with them. And you have the benefit of having practiced so much so you don't have to think about what you're going to say. And now you can be ultra present and, and it takes it to a completely new level. Yeah, that's the first thing. Well, the first time, actually, I think I've done something like that where I haven't been thinking about what I'm going to say. Yeah, so, you know, nice. it could, because I'd practiced enough. I didn't practice heaps, but never a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, how much did you, how many miles did you have to fly? Oh, God. You had to fly backwards. Um, 20,000 miles, I think, to get this is for everyone listening. Some people know the story. Some people, this is the first time they've heard the podcast, right? So, who are these uh, yeah. rambling what? dudes? But, um, yeah, no, I had to, I had to do a speech in America in the middle of lockdown where basically no one could fly anywhere. And I had to do 14 days outside of North America to get in. North America. So it ended uh -huh. up being Dubai, Canada. And then I came in via Phoenix and then had to speak in, in Florida. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was, I think it was, it was something like nine cities, four countries, almost 20,000 miles. And, <laughs> that, and, and of there. course the, the speech is at the end, right? right so, right. you know, by the time I've gotten there, I'm like, oh, I'm just sick of hotels, but I practiced, I think it was, it was about 10 to 12 times in total over the final 10 days mm. before I got there because I was working on yeah. it. I was doing yeah. some slides, but yeah. yeah. And, that, and that was enough for me to be present, but at the same time, know what I need to say in the sequence yeah. that, that we went through. Well, and at the risk of, you know, beating a dead horse, I'm going to say one more thing about it. Yeah. Look at all the time, all the money, then think about all those people in the room and how much they spent to be there and how much it cost them to travel there and all the things that everybody went through for that short little moment that you had on stage. You know, that moment deserves preparation and practice. Are you going to go to all that other trouble and use up all that human life of the audience listening and give them something that's not just freaking outrageously awesome? I don't think so. You should have been speaking to my university professors many years ago. Yeah, I know. They, I know, they should have I know. like you know. I I can't remember the amount of times that I had the back of someone's head, you know, writing on. Actually, it was like a chalkboard back back in the day when I was young. But like, yeah, come yeah. on, guys! Like you know, I've just spent twenty or thirty grand on this bloody course. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I totally agree. So we've jumped in, which is cool, right? And and as everyone can appreciate, I know John pretty well, right? <laughs> we've spent some yeah. time together. Yes, let's let's hear about who you are, John. You've mentioned a couple of things. Before we get into the Dolph Lundgren um, TEDx uh, talk is on, you can get it on YouTube. You can Google it, can't you? Yeah, yeah just it's Google worth Dolph Lundgren TEDx. And I, it's, I mean, it's spectacular. It's it a, is good. It is it's nothing to do dude. with boxing or Rocky, nope. so surprisingly. 
Like it's yeah, got nothing to yeah. that. But um, but obviously John coached um, Dolph in that, so it's it's worth it's worth a watch because I watched that before I uh, started working with John. I thought I got to work with this guy. Anyway, let's hear about you, John. So 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 obviously you're a speaking coach, a communication expert. Um, you've done a whole range of things. Just just tell us what you do now and and how you got to that. So I would say now I do. I mean, listen, if I can false modesty aside, I do what I think of as transformational leadership communications training. And I come from a background of TED and TEDx, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But what I realized over the last decade plus is that there's just so much good stuff in that TED format. I actually call it the original format because I think TED's just using what's worked all throughout history. And that's, you know, leadership, L equals F of C. Leadership is a function of communication and great leadership is a function of great communication. And there's a whole bunch that goes into that. And I've, over the last decade, kind of coalesced everything around this idea of creating a TED-like talk. And, you know, I was always the guy with the soft skills. And I was always jealous of people with the hard skills, the finance guys, the, you know, the engineers, the doctors, all those people. And I've been on the internet since 1987. I started working at dot-com companies in 1994. I was always a founder, a co-founder, an early stage employee at those companies. And I worked with a lot of people with the hard skills and I, and I was jealous of them. I thought, you know, I mean, they make more money, they have more education, they seem smarter, they seem better. So I'd go around trying to prove I was valuable and I just, didn't really feel like I was valuable and it was kind of awkward. What were you and, doing then? Just so I can understand. So what was that? Yeah. Cause there had to be a practical skill or a hard skills you call. What were you doing there? Yeah. So I was always the chief evangelist. For the <laughs> so you're the ideas guy. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, and you know, and kind of the communications <laughs> guy, like I would go out and talk at the conferences and I, okay. and I meet people and bring them in and create partnerships and work on just all that kind of stuff, you know? Okay. So the got it. evangelizing are the various companies and I raised several hundred million dollars with my various teams in Silicon Valley and beyond. And Nick, I, I never had a really successful exit, but you know, I think, uh, I just read somewhere. You only have to be right once Mark Cuban says, so I still have time. You only need um, to get rich once is what I say too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there you go. But on that, so you were pitching as, were you actually doing the pitch or helping the teams get ready? I, you know, work? earlier in at some of the companies, I was just kind of part of the team doing it. In other companies, I was, you know, one of the frontline pitch people. Got it. Um, and and preparing it and and you know thinking about it, but sh I would show up at at a lot of the later ones. And then, um, you know, and then uh, I remember in two thousand and nine, I went to the TED conference for the first time. And I just saw person after person up there on stage giving the most amazing talks I'd ever seen in my life. And, you know, I think to my credit, I, I remember distinctly thinking, okay, I've been a public speaker basically my whole life, but I've never done that. That's something different. So I came home, got really involved in the TED and TEDx community. And at one of the first ever TEDx events, it was TEDx Santa Monica in Los Angeles. My friends were running. It's an all volunteer effort. I was helping out. And we had this guy who had all this hard skills in the world. He had the most interesting, exciting topic of the day for me. He was the one I was waiting for. And when he got up on stage and started to speak, everybody in the room checked out because he was so nervous and awkward. We all thought we were going to throw up. Oh, I, oh dude, I'm cringing. I, 
I'm sure I've been there like when I was younger and I used to do debating. In fact, I know I have because I used to sweat and like my shirt would be like ripping. Uh, uh, well, I, you know, I mean, and, and, and I was so sad because I'd just seen that so much, you know, people who had so much to offer and so much education and just wanted to make a difference, but just couldn't quite connect with the communications piece. And, and, you know, and, it, and, and listen, being scared is fine, right? Like we can work with that. This was just, it just, uh, you know, we just never got out of it. And, and it was, and I was so sad. And then, then a few minutes in the evil part of me popped out and I remember sitting there going, ah, ha, 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 hard skills guys blowing it calls what I do fluffy neener neener. And as I was doing that, my buddy walked over and totally changed my life. He said, dude, we got to do something to help people like this. And I remember it was seriously one of those moments, the clouds parted, the angels sang, the lights came on thunderstruck. I was like, Oh my gosh, if I just got over myself for five freaking minutes, I could totally make a difference for that guy if I stopped honoring this chip on my shoulder. So I ditched the chip and I went home that night and I started working on what I now deliver all over the world, you know, and the thing that's different, the reason that that was such a crucial moment for me is because I did something different that I, than I would have done otherwise. I realized if I wanted to communicate with that guy, I would need to base everything I did in human evolutionary biology and human neurophysiology so I could show people not only what works when it comes to communicating with and influencing and inspiring and leading human beings, but also why it works based in science. Had you connected on that before? I mean, never. So, so, so you, you decided at that point to go deeper. And, and so, you know, funny enough, I never really thought I was using my college degree, but I was lucky enough to go to UCLA and be in the honors collegium there. Okay. And I took sociology with an emphasis in social psychology. Mm -hmm. And I got to be right. in upper division classes my whole time, you know, so I had done a bunch of the study and I'd read, I knew this stuff and it was something I was interested in, but it was like a parallel track till that moment. And when oh, I got that, I could combine these things and my something that I was interested in and could make a difference with people. It was just like gobsmacking. And so I went home that night and just started thinking from an evolutionary biology and neurobiology point of view about everything that I had learned the hard way through my entire career as basically a public speaker and a communicator and an entrepreneur and a leader. And that just, changed everything for me because at that moment nick i was 50 grand in debt even the jobs that paid not enough you know and gave me these options that weren't worth anything even those jobs were gone i didn't know what i was gonna do but when i you know hit this like it was the only thing i could think of to do thank heavens that i had that insight and First year, I went more in debt. Second year, I kind of broke even. Third year, I made more than I ever made in my whole life before. And then I doubled that plus, then I tripled that plus, And then I, you know, it's been going better. And, you know, that, so that was just the life altering moment for me. <laughs> let's, let's just for the audience's sake, because I think, you know, you and I know what it is, but let's just talk about Ted for a second. Yeah. Yes. You know, as the, as the kind of the birth of kind of what you, what you started to do and what you have been doing. So firstly, what is Ted, right? At the very basic level. And the second question is, there's a massive fascination about it. So I'd love to know what the fascination about Ted is as well, once, once people yeah. kind of connect with it. 
So TED started out, it's the Technology Entertainment and Design Conference. And it's actually, it was around for quite a while as a secret knock conference, you know, like yes. you could, like it was, you know, the top <laughs> venture capitalists in the world, the top business leaders, and nobody talked about it. You know, the first rule of TED is don't talk about TED. And, um, and it was an amazing event. Uh, but then a guy named Chris Anderson, who now is the head of TED, bought the whole thing and immediately realized, oh my gosh, like this stuff is too good to keep secret. We need to put this stuff on the internet. And it was right at the time when the internet was just starting to mature into being able to successfully really convey video. And so, and TED is, you know, people just come and it's supposed to be the talk of your life. And TED talks are 18 minutes or less. They're the, the coaching from Ted is you get one idea we're spreading, not your top two or three. It's not a 45 minute thing. It's 18 minutes or less one idea we're spreading. And then they just get some of the most amazing people in the whole world to come speak about what they're doing. And, you know, so when Chris put it on, on the internet and video was working, that was just it just was the perfect marriage because I think, as I said, this is not just the Ted format. This is the original format. This is what works with human beings. Like Ted has really managed to capture that lightning in a bottle in terms of how they coach their speakers. It's not, don't give us a book report about what you're doing. Take us on a journey, things like that. And so, you know, that hit really hard in about a little bit after 2009. It, it, it really hit. And then God, was it only that far back? Because I, I, it feels like it's been around a long time because I've sat through. I mean, I put it on for entertainment sometimes. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, yeah. Hey, it's very digestible because you're right. It's 18 minutes or less. And it's one concept. And to me, it's more about there's definitely the art form of delivery. Yes. Right. The, the, yeah. That has, you know, that's where you know, it's not so much the idea can be great, but it's the way that the, the, the presenter, if you like, or the speaker does it, which is the bit yeah. that's always very fascinating to me. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and they, and you know, the other thing that I didn't know when I first went to Ted uh, and I remember, I remember sitting there at Ted in 2009, just being gobsmacked, just floored. And, and I think I still somewhere in the back of my mind thought those people were winging it like I did. <laughs> no, couldn't be further from the truth. They, at least six months, most of them have been working on that talk for a year yeah, before wow. they get on stage, you know? Um, and that was eye-opening to me. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 it's, it is, it's just these great short speeches about things that are really interesting by people that are that are deeply into them and they get a lot of great coaching from the ted team and that you know it's a it's and it's about what you said nick it's a lot about so it's the idea right that's got to be there in the first place but then there's crafting the delivery of that idea and the the i i really i mean i i've been a public speaker fundamentally for my whole life even since high school but, and I knew the importance of structure on some level, but I didn't really get the importance of structure, the power that just a teeny bit of restructuring how you're going to say something can dramatically impact the results you get and how hard it lands for people, how well it lands for people was, was stunning to me. And all these things, you know, that how to be on stage and, you know, Ted has that little red carpet. It's a little red carpet on stage, a little circle. And 
people do their best to stay in that because Ted's videoing everything and they want him to stay in a I was going to ask, place. is there a rule around that? Or I suppose there isn't really. You can walk around if you want to. Well, people break the rule, but <laughs> the, the, the request is to stay on that carpet and to not move around so much, right? There's, there's something really they get people these people get great delivery notes as well like hey you know stop wandering you know plant your feet and stand still and and just let the energy come out of your face and your hands and you know so i got very into the ted format and very into studying these talks and i and i will say i got invited to speak the next year and i blew it i <laughs> oh really i didn't it. realize that oh my gosh I wrote an article. You can go to Inc. Magazine. Just all you got to do is type in John Bates, Ted fail. I'm the first result, <laughs> you know? So why, but at this point in time, you'd started, you know, helping people with their communication, right? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I had, I had the, I had had the idea. I hadn't refined it yet. I hadn't gotten down deep in it. And I, and I certainly didn't know everything that I know now you know, decade plus later. And I think I fell for the most obvious trap, which is I, I was on a side stage at Ted. I wasn't on the main stage, but it was still Ted. The woman who invited me said, it's still Ted. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I did it for me, Nick. I did it to try to establish my credibility and to try to look like an expert in my field and to try to get attention for my company. And guess what? That doesn't oh, work. It doesn't sound good. So, oh, I got to What was the, What was the topic of the, of the talk? You know, I talked about the virtual world and I worked at this uh, place called Entropia Universe and we were the only virtual world game that allowed people to put money in and take it out at a guaranteed exchange rate. And there were people that are making a living in there and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. And it was pretty cool and cutting edge in 2010, you know, very, very ahead of its time. But I didn't draw out the one idea that would be universally interesting i just tried to list out all the 10 or 20 unbelievable facts and wave my hands around and it oh it was it's so embarrassing it still makes me sick is it <laughs> is it one of those things so so i sometimes and this is quite there's a paradox here right so if if i go and work on someone else's businesses i have absolute clarity of what they should do next like like it's yes. a kind of weird sort of jedi mind <laughs> thing because i know yes. you like your, your star wars stuff but then yes. if you work on your own thing sometimes you're too attached like you know i can get too emotionally attached to my businesses at time that's why i go away a lot and do these events and travel because i need to get yeah. away to think actually yes yeah is that what happens to you bit here you know how to do this right you've been speaking for a long time even before your tedx appearance yes were you just it's your speech so you got too involved was it something to do with that or was it other stuff as well no i mean i well i think that it was coming from a place of sort of insecurity um just where i was in my life at the time and i think you're absolutely right I, you know it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame and that's mm. true for me for myself just like it's true for anybody else and i i uh I got a little bit of input from some people, but none of them really knew Ted, you know, none of them, they were all just like, I mean, and it would have been an okay speech for like someplace else, but it, it, I mean, it wasn't a terrible speech. It was just the absolute wrong speech for Ted. And I've kind of come around to the belief now, 10 years plus later that even if you can do something different, 
that would still be good. I want to bring these TED elements to everything I do because I just think it makes for a more connected, more meaningful, deeper, better speech, you know, and, and like what we did with you, Nick, you know, yours, you're, you're in the setting where you were recently for that speech, a pure Ted talk wasn't going to be appropriate, right? Like if you had gotten up and just done a Ted talk, it, it would have been lacking something for the context, but you brought a bunch of that Ted stuff to it. And it really amplified what you ended up having to offer. I, I'm going to say. Yeah, the journey. I think it's also the the sequencing and the journey. So, mm -hmm. so you. So again, for everyone listening, so my my speech was not a one idea. It had to be more of a not so much a training, but people were there expecting to learn some stuff they could take away. Yeah. So I couldn't just do one idea. It, there was yeah. a concept, but there were a number of principles underneath that concept. Yeah. But the thing that I I did differently and versus what I would have done is instead of going there just thinking I was teaching at people, right? You know, uh -huh. like I've done for years, um, I was bringing them in on a journey, which made it more relevant to them, even, even if they weren't at the place at that particular time where the stuff that I was talking about was as relevant as it may be for them in the future, right? Yeah. And that was the piece. And, and I do want to, I do want to get into a little bit of structure here because, mm -hmm. you know, without, without all of your secrets, because I know all of them, but we'll, we'll, we'll let, let yeah. a few come out because- okay. Because I think people want to learn a little bit of what does good look like and what isn't good from your perspective as an expert. Yeah. So you know, uh, I mean, look, I'll give people one of the one of the biggest, baddest, best secrets. That's also one of the harder ones to actually implement well. <laughs> so um, <laughs> all I'm going to say about that is don't don't go out and try it for the first time on stage. Practice this at home and listen to yourself. But this this is one of the most obvious biggest ways that structure can just have an enormous impact and it's a it's a um it's an ancient greek secret whose latin name is in medias res and uh it's it which means into the middle things so let's just say that that uh let's contrast things here i'll give you a quick example okay um here i am in the middle of the african savannah underneath this gigantic tree and monkeys are actually falling out of the sky. I'm not even kidding. I hear them landing with thuds and squeaks around me. They're crawling around, staggering, falling over. Then I see a giraffe walk smack into a big branch and almost knock itself over. And then I hear a lion roar. You see, I, read years ago about these trees where the fruit grows in Africa and ferments on the trees and the animals come once it's fermented and have a gigantic drunken party. And I wanted to see that. So I bought a ticket and I got in my Jeep and I, I mean, I got on a plane and I rode, to, you know, went now. Okay. That's fairly interesting. Right. And, and when I, you know, I could go back uh, you know, I start in the middle and then I go back and catch us up. If I had started at the beginning, it would be so different, right? Imagine you didn't know the story, erase, erase, erase. And, and I come out and I say, well, about 10 years ago, I was reading about these trees where the fruit 
grows and then it ferments on the tree. And I decided I wanted to go see that because the animals come and eat the fruit. So I started working and I saved up some money and I got a ticket to Africa. And then when I got it to Africa, I got off the plane and boy, was it hot. And, you know, then we rented a Jeep and drove out onto the... No, you know, it, it, the first one's way more interesting, right? And so the idea of in medias res is we are naturally drawn to tell stories in chronological order, but that's the most boring order of all time because that's how everything happens. That's how life happens is chronological order. So we're all used to that. So instead of chronological order into the middle things means start in the middle and even better extra points. If you start at a point where something's happening and it's very exciting or scary or somehow suspenseful and then you don't resolve the suspense you just set paint the picture don't resolve the suspense and then go back to the beginning tell us how we got there with all the relevant stuff we need to know then tell us what happened tell us about the big breakthrough tell us about whatever happened and then and now how that's changed everything right versus just chronologically going through the whole list of stuff that's a good one and, and what's happening, because um, we, we spoke briefly about sort of physiological and psychological elements there. So, so yeah. what, what's, if you start in the middle like that, what's actually happening to the audience, you know, well, in terms of their brain? Because obviously it's more interesting yeah. than just, hey, I, you know, I, I thought about going on a trip. Yeah. Because what, what, <laughs> I'm just curious about that because obviously you've studied that. Yeah. So there's a couple pieces at play. The first one and the most obvious one is just, people our brains crave surprise and they crave what's novel and they're always looking for what's different because if we didn't notice that on the way to the river today in the trail there was a tiger laying there and yesterday there wasn't and the day before that if we didn't notice what was different here we got eaten and we're not in the gene pool anymore you know so we're very very interested in what is different and what's new and surprising because that's that that has been essential to our survival to notice that stuff so it's why fashion changes as fast as it does we just we just want new surprising interesting stuff so starting in the middle with that with something where it's like people are going what's going on what's going to like now we've engaged people's brain they're curious there's this suspense we don't resolve it yet we go back to the beginning and tell them about all the things that happened that led up to that and you know and i kind of gave it away in my example i shouldn't have maybe said that i wanted to go see those fruits i should have said you know i put down the magazine and i made a decision i was going to africa right and then i could tell people when i got to the trees what was going on and it would would have made it even more suspenseful um but uh so that's one and then the other piece is uh storytelling when you when when human beings realize that another human being is telling a story even if you just say something as simple as oh let me tell you a story about that our brains have this chemical shift and they and our brains release the same chemical they release when we expect to get a reward so a story is like giving people a reward it's this like, you know, if we were to push a lever and our favorite food would drop out, <laughs> our brains would, that. 
would like that, right? So it's the yeah. same thing as that. When is when that because says, of going back to like you know th that whole saying of when you're a kid, you know, show me the boy at seven, I'll show you the man, that sort of stuff. But, yeah. You know, we would be told a bedtime story if we were lucky growing up, and there was there was a lot of that that would have impressioned yes. us in our environment. So therefore, if we hear that concept as we're growing up again, yes, it takes us back a little bit to those amazing memories. I mean, you I know, I part of that. I, it absolutely is. I have a five and a half year old and the number of times he says, dad, will you tell me this story about, right? His favorite thing right now is he just wants everybody to tell them. He says, will you tell me a story about the time you almost died? Right. He wants to hear about all the times I almost died. Right. Like that surfing accident I had and the, you know, whatever. So that boy, and he wants to hear those. And listen, the other piece of it is not just that, but all throughout history, all throughout time, how did uh, up until Google, I mean, the printing press, how did every important thing that we communicated and share with us, how to, how to create civilization, how to build a cathedral, how to brew beer, everything important. How did that come to us? Well, it's all, it's always the putting together of words. So, so, and was, you know, and, and, and by that, I mean, and I mean that intentionally actually, because uh -huh. it's not just, it's not just saying something, it's the way right. you put it together that and, creates. And, yeah. And that can change everything as well. Right. It has to be, it, everything came put together, as you say, in the form of a story, because that is the only way we could remember complex things. We, we can, you remember the study people can remember between four and seven things, right? That's why phone numbers are the length they were and all that. Right. That's been disproven. It's not between four and seven. It's four period. So I always thought it was like three. Cause I remember Tony yeah. Robbins would always say one, two, three, many. And I, that, that's, that's. <laughs> And I, and I, and I tend to keep, it's interesting actually, because four averages out, I often say to anyone I'm working with top three to five, top three to yeah. five, right? So, you know, uh, yep. three at the minimum, five at the maximum, but it averages yep. at your four. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and you're totally right, right? Like for, for things to be distinct, it can be three. Anything after three becomes many, one, two, three, many. That's how human beings count, right? a billion is just big many we don't have a mental relationship to it it's just big many a million is kind of smaller many compared to a billion but it's still a pretty big so we can't remember long lists of stuff so the way that everything came to us was in the form of a story so that we could remember it and that's why over the eons that we've been doing this our brains have come to more highly value story than anything else in communication sometimes to our detriment you know don't fall for anecdotal evidence is good advice but the reason they have to teach us that over and over is because we're so tempted to fall for anecdotal evidence and think one story proves something so mm, okay. you know, don't use anecdotal evidence, right? No, no dark side use of these things. However, if you're on the light side of the force and you're doing something good, if you have great data or if you have a point that's really important for you to land and you don't use story to convey that, you're missing out on the number one tool uh, for communicating with human beings, period. End of story. So I was reading something in preparation for this. So I want to ask you this question. So uh -huh. one of it was around conscious and subconscious minds, right? So, mm. you know, and, and this concept of monkey brain, reptilian brain, or the, or the guardian or the gatekeeper that sits yes. between that. Yeah. And there are certain words that you can say and certain, certain journeys, let's say that you can take an audience on 
which will allow the subconscious brain or mind to connect with what you're saying. Yes. And I've heard, and again, this is my question to you, that if yep. you, in some cases, if you can't get past that, you've got no hope of getting whatever the outcome, the message, the influence, let's say you're pitching for money, you haven't got a chance yep. of getting the yes. Is that, does, yes. is that true? I mean, I, I want to, I've heard that, but I haven't heard your, your sort of thinking about that. Well, so there's two, there's two aspects for me that are really important for that, Nick, and I'll try and be brief. One is in, and you and I both know Mike Michalowicz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he been on the show. Wrote, Friend yeah. of the show, as we say. He's <laughs> fabulous guy. I love that guy. And I just worked with him on his big speech for his new book called Get Different. And what he talks about, and I, and I should know this. I should know this better, but I think it's called the reticular formation, but it's the thing that's at the bottom of your brain, right at your spinal column. That's basically the gatekeeper that's deciding what, what it's going to let in because really we have to ignore most of it. We can't handle all the input that's coming to us from the world all the time, 24 seven. We've got a gatekeeper there that decides whether it's even going to get any attention or none. And, the, the best way to get through that is through something that's different because it has to, it has to pay attention at least for a second to something that's different. So that's number one. And, and if you can't get past that, then you just don't even get noticed. Now, the other angle that I think about, particularly in the work that, that I do is that, you know, we've got this ancient brain it's the paleo mammalian brain. All mammals have it, right? It's the brainstem and the midbrain. And it doesn't have access to language or logic or reason, but it does have access to reality. It smells things, pheromones, it sees facial micro expressions, all this stuff that it's picking up on, but it can't just tell us, hey, you know, that guy is going to try and mug you in the elevator. I can smell it on his pheromones, right? It, so, because it doesn't have language. So, the way that our ancient brain, our paleo mammalian brain, communicates with us is through gut feeling. Okay. We, we, uh, just doesn't feel right. You know? So yeah, yeah. if you're, so that's good information, by the way, listen to that thing, get good at distinguishing it. But we all think we live in our, in our neocortex, the new brain, the new brain that's wrapped around the outside of the old brain, the cerebral cortex. But, but here's the thing, even the most logical person listening to this right now, if they have a even close to normal functioning human brain, if I put any of, of our listeners into an fMRI machine and watch them in real time as they made a decision, even if they weighed it out logically first, boom, the paleo mammalian brain fires first, making the decision. Then nanoseconds later, the, the cerebral cortex fires agreeing with or disagreeing with the decision, but not making the decision. So here's what happens. Do you like the product? Yes, we like the product. Do you think it's priced right? Oh, certainly it's a good price. Well, do you think it would make a difference for you to have it? Oh yes, why certainly. Well, do you wanna sign the check and we'll start delivery? No, no, we're not, we're not ready yet. We wanna think about it, right? Because we didn't make an emotional connection, we got a yes, 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 no. Because the logical brain was all in. Yes, yes, yes. Logic, logic, logic. But it, it's got to go through the emotional brain to get to the spinal column to sign the check or to say yes or to agree or take action. And if the emotional brain is not put at ease, if we don't have some emotional connection with this person that's trying to get us to do something, we will. they will get yes, 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 no. So the way to get mm. yes, 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 yes is by not only having a great product, right? Logic is necessary, but it's not sufficient. 
you've also got to make an emotional connection so you can get what I call the fourth and most important yes. And so what, okay, because we, you know, we were going to talk about a totally different topic. We've got onto this now. Um, <laughs> what, what's the quickest or the most um, effective way of getting the fourth yes? You know, or giving yourself the best chance to get the fourth yes, I suppose is a better way to say it. So there's, there's two things. One is a little more complicated, but it's super powerful. And that's finding a well-chosen, well-crafted, well-told origin story. Okay. So, so you building know, rapport at a deep from? level, pretty much. Yes. Yeah. By, by sharing your story in about a minute and a half to two minutes in a way that tells your audience, the people you're talking to something that's important about you that lets them connect with you and understand you. And you know, that, that story about how I always had the soft skills and I was always jealous of people with the hard skills. Yeah. That's one of my origin stories. And since I work with places like NASA and Johnson and Johnson, all these really hard skills, people, that story is an unbelievable door opener for me. It people go, Oh, He's one of those kind of guys. I know those kinds of guys, but he got over himself and maybe he could make a difference for me. You know, got it. Now, the, the, the other one that doesn't take quite as much effort, it just takes paying attention is small talk has been misnamed. Small talk is not small talk. Small talk is big talk. We're just confused because it doesn't really matter what subject we talk about. But what really matters to make small talk big talk is that we talk about something that connects us. We just need to talk about something that that allows us to be in the same tribe and connect over something. I helped a team raise a ton of money. First round out, they couldn't raise any money. Month later, they went out, not much had changed with their business, but we had been working together on how to warm up the room and make that emotional connection. They connected with the team they'd had the worst meeting with last time over dogs. Everybody had dogs. So they all looked at each other's dogs, by the end of that meeting, they had closed the round and this that was now their lead investor helped them raise a whole bunch more money. And no kidding, it came down to everybody's dogs. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, well, I'm not that surprised by that. Right. Because you're right, because, you know, it's, it's the whole, it, the, the summary of like people buy from people they know, like, and trust, right? Yes. So, so you're trying to accelerate, if you like, what can sometimes take a while to build. Yeah. By those yes. points. Because the, the other thing I, I was also studying the other day, I think we spoke about it when we last had a conversation, was some of the the wording that you can use in a presentation. Again, particularly not maybe not a TEDx where there is less yeah. interaction, but mm. getting people to agree or to nod yes. or to acknowledge, yes. you know, say yes. You know, are you getting this? Are you with me? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I was reading that the more you can get someone to connect and, and have that going, that, I suppose, commitment, that agreement, acceptance yes. is going past that brain part that you said before, because I'm yes. coming what it's called. And it's getting to the subconscious part of the brain and it's mm -hmm. starting to really get that that working. That's another well, thing and I you, I know I mean and another thing that's great to do is tell people what you're gonna do during your talk. And then at the end say, okay, so I've kept all my promises to you. I told you this, I told you that, I did, right? Yeah, I got and, it. And start establishing that what that your word is good and that you're gonna keep your promises. And, you know, I mean, it comes down to things as simple and maybe obvious in hindsight is, I, I probably wouldn't call it a workbook, you know? People don't like to work. <laughs> I would call it an action guide. <laughs> yes, you know? I get it, exactly. But that's that's what I meant before when I said, the words, the words have a massive impact in the way you put them together. So you massive can say impact. you can say the same thing a number of different ways, but if you get the words right, 
you know, that, that open up different parts of someone's brain to be more receptive. It's yes. going to make your communication more powerful because they'll remember yes. it. And it's also going to take any actions that you associate or you want people to take from that more powerful as well. That's absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. Very good. I, it's one of those things, Nick, I think it, life is like this. I struggle between thinking that absolutely nothing matters because on some level, nothing matters. You know, if you're just really present with your audience and it's really clear you're there and care about them, you can make all kinds of mistakes, you know, and people just won't even notice. They won't even care because you're present and you're clearly there for them. Then there's the fact that that one word either magnetizes them or repels them, you know? And if that one word is in that last sentence that where they're either going to take action or not, and you magnetize them, 90% of the people want it. They'll, they'll sign up, they'll do whatever. If, if it repels them, you'll be lucky to get 10%, right? Like I, it's- Or 0%, which I've seen. Yeah, 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 <laughs> it can happen. Oh, wow. Well, let's let's finish up the conversation. We were gonna talk today, we started saying about what, you know, what actually is you know, transformative leadership communication, but more importantly than that, what, what's happening right now? Because we're coming out of COVID, we've got quite a lot of disruption in the world, there's a lot of uncertainty What's your view, into, particularly as the stuff you teach and, and, and how you help people become more effective leaders? Mm -hmm. what, what's some of the things specifically now that you think are more important than ever? Well, you know, I mean, I, I ask people what's going on on a pretty regular basis. And I think that people are, are it's not 100% new, but, but it's just getting harder and harder to keep people engaged, uh, you know there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. It seems like you're getting more uncertain versus less. And people are just having a hard time with their keeping, feeling like they're keeping their teams really totally engaged. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the other piece is that it, it, we're still virtual. And so your, your leadership presence is still very much about how you show up on zoom or whatever video, uh, you know, teams or whatever your, your company's using. So those are the things that I'm still talking to people about a lot. And, you know, it, it, one of the big things that I say in terms of keeping people productive and people engaged is that I think you're one of your number one jobs as a, as a leader all the time, but especially in this situation is creating and reminding people of the empowering context for what you do you know are you giving them that are we are we just laying bricks or are we building a cathedral you know we're building a temple here right are we just shuffling papers or are we saving patients lives and the more you can make the empowering context real for people and the more you can remind them of it from different angles and in different ways and there are more there's more than one empowering context too you know the more you just keep people present to all the different layers of empowering context the more engaged they'll be and the the more productive they'll be and it it you know that puts that productivity driving engine for what's going on over there with them right you can't keep going for them they have to want to keep going so that empowering context i think is really important and what's amazing is how fast that goes away 
right? So people start to feel like they're a broken record, reminding people and reminding people and reminding people that's part of your job. You know, I, I forget who told me, but somebody told me that one of the big jobs of a leader is to just say the same important things over and over and over and over and over. I think that's a really, um, to some extent, misunderstood point because, because I remember when I first started doing the podcast, um, I, I thought that I had to every single week come out with something new, right? Yeah. And then I think there was a consistency to it, but it was a little bit hard for people to get. Yeah. And and the reason I was doing it is because I thought just because I'd said it, you know, people needed fresh information. But in reality, right. they just, they needed reaffirmation yeah. <laughs> of the same yeah. thing. So I, I did a, I did an episode today actually just by myself where I kind of went back and said, you know, the five reasons why you know most successful businesses fail. And I thought I've done this episode at least probably ten times. But yeah. You know what? Maybe the context has now changed, and there yes. was a few things. So I'm going to do it again because the world's changing so quickly, yeah. and the message is still important. Well, and we're changing, right? Like the things that I heard, even just in our engagement, Nick, about what you do, the the first time I heard it versus, you know, after several meetings and weeks and then months, I'm a different person. And I'm hearing and picking up on different things that you're saying, not because you're saying something different, but because I'm hearing something yeah, absolutely. from a different place, you know? And I think people, I learned this quite recently, actually, in the last probably six to 12 months, because when I used to go and um, invest in myself in education programs and things like that, I, I used to think it was like, once you've done it once, you've done it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, nope. a coach of mine said, go back and just keep watching it. Keep watching it. I was like, oh, God, yeah. So I actually started to have it playing in the background, going for a run or whatever. Yeah. And it's amazing how many times, it's a bit like reading a book multiple times. Yeah. When you read it second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever it is, you yes. actually pick up different things. Totally different things. And I didn't appreciate that. And yeah. it was a guy, there's a guy called Myron Golden who was talking about it. He's like a sales coach guy, but he was talking about it in terms of uh, going up in a in a, a building and mm -hmm. you're trying to get to the top of the building super quick and you're trying to go up by the elevator or the or the, or the stairs or whatever it is. And what you're not doing is you're not leveling. You're not getting what you need from the level or from that yeah. floor before you yeah. go up. Right. And That's very good. Yeah. It was, and, and, and the whole, the whole point of it was like, make sure that you've, you've, you've looked around the floor before yeah. you go up to the next floor, trying to find the thing. Right. And, yeah. and that sort of made me think, yeah, the detail actually happens at that level, the granularity, not always yeah. the escalation. So. And, and you know, I, at first I remember when some of my, you know, some of the most successful people I've worked with would tell me, that they watched my online course again or that they you know oh I, you know guess what i got this time you know and i remember being really shocked by that at first yeah it <laughs> is know? isn't it because like, it takes some I, discipline but if, but you know mastery doesn't come from doing something once right it really doesn't yeah and i just i my saying now for myself as i'm as i'm trying to remember this is deepen 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 i don't have to say a whole bunch of brand new things. In fact, it might not even really serve people for me to always be saying something new. Let's go back and make absolutely sure that they understand this and are implementing it and deepen, deepen, deepen what they've already heard once, twice. That's what's going to really make the difference. Absolutely. It's a hard thing. It's a hard no. thing to get your head around, I think, sometimes. Well, me. I think also because we like to go from A to B, right? And there's a thing about yeah. progression, even if it's that yeah. like 1% better. But, you know, if you want to be great at something and you want to be the world's best at something, you know, it's the practice, right? Yeah. So, yep. So what I'm going to do as we finish up, I'm going to, I'm going to give some, uh, some calls to action to the audience. <laughs> okay? okay. So the first call to action is 
you've got to go and watch my Tampa speech again and you've got to watch Dolph Lundgren, right? Because now you know that the, the, the person behind those amazing speeches is this guy, Mr. John Bates. And then you've got to come back and tell me which is better. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, okay, I know what the answer to that's going to be. Um, second thing, um, John's going to come and speak on my mastermind in a few weeks. So if anyone wants to get the, the proper playbook from John, he's going to be giving some of that away. So join the mastermind. That's a bit. And the third bit is um, you have got a bit of a gift for everyone who's listening today so they can get a little bit more into your world and understand. Because as you said, there's a depth to what you've got that I've been through, which there's no way we could cover in 60 minutes conversation yeah. here. Yeah. So how can people kind of connect with you and, and learn a bit more from you if they wish to do so, John? Well, you know, uh, the I think the best gift I could give them is access to my weekly mini trainings. And I do these uh, every, they come out every Sunday morning. It's a short two minute video with a little bit of text uh, introducing it. And the way that I think of it is this is something that's super important. And I know everybody's got their focus, right? What they do, they're working on their business. They're doing other things. Check this out every Sunday keep it in mind for the week it's a short little thing and it will help you develop a great habit of of great leadership communications along with everything else that you're doing and that's easy to find at executive speaking success.com forward slash subscribe and Perfect. i will give you free access there you can also find me at johnbates.com if that's easier to remember and uh i'm just john at johnbates.com and, Easy. you know, you're a friend of Nick's, you're a friend of mine. <laughs> well, we'll put all that into the show notes and people can reach out to you. But yeah, just want to thank you again, sir. So as I said, had I got up there without your instruction, coaching, friendship, I would have, you know, looked like an absolute ass. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, well, I accept the compliment. I think you're, I think you're, I think it would have been fabulous. And I do think that with, our both of our brains on it and your excellent effort we did make that just a spectacularly awesome talk and and you know took it up a level well the highlight is, at the end the which i shared with you which i don't know if i shared to um to the audience before is at the very end of the event there was about 200 people there so i was there for the first part but the, the whole event was about two 250 and um matt andrews stood up and said you know what are what are two key moments from the last four days it was four days of speakers right uh -huh. and um a gentleman called zach childress put up his hand and said it was nick's speech getting us to think bigger and yeah. i don't know how many of them there must have been god what 10 speakers a day i don't know yeah 30 or 40 presentations <laughs> uh -huh. so i was like get in <laughs> yes yes so there you well, go. that's what happens when you put that, when you really put that love and effort into it, like you just are totally different because most people just aren't doing that. No, exactly. No, exactly. And, and for me, it's opened up a whole, a whole range of different thoughts and goals around speaking as well. That's which is fabulous. Great. Yeah, congratulations. That's Alrighty, awesome. sir. Well, listen, thank you for your time, John. Um, awesome having you on the show. A long time coming. I'm very grateful for you coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and and also giving up your time. So on behalf My of pleasure. myself and the Scale Up with Nick Bradley crew, all of us here, thank you so much, mate. You are very welcome. And it's my pleasure. It's been a joy. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, 
then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.